We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. From the Clark Ford Studio in Oxford, Mississippi, MBW Digital proudly presents the Oxford Exxon Podcast. I'd say thanks for tuning in, but why am I going to give you a round of applause for something you're supposed to do, to be frank? And now, here are your hosts, Chase Parm. And broadcast school has really paid off. And Neil McCready. I deserve to be on TV. Welcome into this edition of the Oxford Exxon Podcast. Chase Parm, Brian Rippey here with you. A little bit of a late start. We're recording on Wednesday evening prior to uh, the day off for Ole Miss. They practice Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday. And then today, they get a day off tomorrow. They'll be back in shoulder pads and shorts on Friday. And then they're going to scrimmage Saturday or Sunday. They haven't announced which day that is, but they'll have their first full pad scrimmage sometime this weekend. So we'll talk some football. We'll talk some different topics here with you for a, uh, a little bit. A little bit of housekeeping. Neil and I should be back uh, either tomorrow night or on Friday. And then I think starting next week, we'll have our normal morning podcast. We're getting back into that routine and we'll get going, letting you guys uh, back with our old time schedule prior to uh, really prior to the Kiffin era, prior to COVID and us needing the internet for Neil's kids to be uh, doing virtual school and stuff like that. So most of them are out of the house now. He's moving uh, Caroline into Fayetteville as we, uh, as we speak. So we'll have that back on the schedule here soon for the podcast brought to you every single day by the Oxford Exxon Highway 6 West in Oxford. You can uh, download the Speed Pass Plus app, take advantage of that, earn some points, and save some money there with all Blue Sky locations in Mississippi. Also, remember the self-checkout line is going there at the uh, Blue Sky here in Oxford. So go in. You don't have to worry about anybody else in line or whatever. Take care of yourself. Big proponents of the self-checkout. You can find that there at the Oxford Exxon. We are also coming to you from the Clark Ford Studio, 662-257-1900, Highway 25 South there in Amory. Corey wants to be a truck guy. He wants to be your car guy, and he will take care of you. No matter where you are in the car buying process, give Corey a call. Get a quote within 15 minutes in business hours and see what he has to offer there for your new Clark Ford. Also, uh, I guess Brian technically right now joining me on the Raptors Music and Food Hotline. Raptors on the square in Oxford. Raptors on the water is open out towards Sardis as well as in New Albany as well. So a lot of different locations to take advantage of the drinks, the atmosphere, the food that comes with rafters at all those locations. And then uh, just quickly before we get started, I want to tell you that, uh, you know, we've been a longtime partner with Blue Delta Jeans. They make the best fitting, most comfortable jeans in the world because they're uniquely made for you and only you. Raw denim jeans, custom fit, hand tailored in Tupelo, Mississippi. One size fits one at bluedeltajeans.com. And our friends at Blue Delta are excited to open registration for the third annual Delta Cup. The golf tournament this year will feature two separate tournament days. So Friday, October 8th at Mossy Oak in West Point, and then Sunday, October 10th at the Country Club of Oxford. As in years past, registration fees will cover food, beverages, 
alcoholic and otherwise, and a pair of Blue Deltas for every member of your team. Space is limited as always. You can email Blake Huckenauer at blake at bluedeltajeans.com to register your team today. It's a really great event. Remember, we uh, we won it a couple years ago. Did not fare as well last year. Going to come back, try to take the take the title back this year. I think we're going to play at Mossy on that Friday. But either way, I think we're going to do something. We haven't really figured out what it is yet. But if any of our listeners put in a team and you beat our score at either location, we'll get we'll get a prize for you. We'll work up some sort of deal there where we'll we'll compete against you guys, give you guys something if you uh, beat whatever our score is uh, is for that. Brian, you're coming in town for the uh, for the festivities. Good evening tonight. You, you you're, you're going to handle all the drives, right? It's a shambles, so we can just wherever you launch that thing out there, then we can play from there. Yeah, absolutely. I hope there's not a whole lot of patrons around because I don't yell four. So if they're in that two thirty, two forty yard range, that is the hot zone. So I will not yell four and I will not signal. But now I'm feeling a little bit of added pressure now that I knew the stakes of uh, beating the scores and all that. So. Uh, I guess I'll hit the short game range in the months uh, between then because now there's a little pressure on it. But, yeah, no, I got the drives handled. And if you're in the way, you're in the way. So where are you as one of those guys? I mean, you and I, neither one of us hit the ball very far. I promise we'll get to football in a second. When you're playing in a shamble or a scramble and, like, one of the better players, I mean, like Kyle's playing with us again this year, if he launches that thing out 300, do you even hit to stay in rhythm or are you one of those people that just goes and gets back in the car? No, because I know it doesn't matter. I will not hit. And most of the time I'm volunteering to go first to get the ball in the fairway. And then just like, it's, it's kind of like a, it's kind of like being the guy that throws the alley-oop when you can't dunk. If you can get one into the fairway and then turn around and be like, all right, boys, pop a shoelace, break a vertebrae, whatever, get it out there. That's where you feel useful. Whereas otherwise I'm just, no, I'm full on. Like if I don't get out of the cart first and someone who most people hit it further than me, hits it like 280, I'm probably not getting out of the cart. See, I kind of like hitting just a hit still. Like, I feel like if I skip one, I get kind of out of rhythm. Like, either either I'm hitting it well and I need to hit another one or I'm crappy for the day, as I typically am. And it's like, no, let's like work, try to work out a kink, work on something. Like, I, even if I know it has no bearing whatsoever, I feel like I still have to hit the ball. It's probably different head spaces. Because particularly like if I'm hitting the driver well and I have one that I know is pointless, if if I hook one into the trees, then I'm thinking about it on the next hole and it could potentially potentially matter. Probably not a great chance that it matters, but uh, that's probably just shows you how mentally weak I am, though. So you uh, you got a little different guest tomorrow. You're doing a lot of stuff uh, analytically. Hopefully, as the year moves on, you've been doing some of that as well. I've seen some some comments on the message board. From, from that standpoint, but you also been doing some SEC West previews, talking to some other people. Where are you sort of in the process of just kind of learning about the SEC West? What are sort of your impressions of, uh, of this division as a whole as we get here, I guess, you know, a little under four weeks until the season starts? I mean, this is not really breaking news, but beyond Alabama, it, it seems pretty wide open. And the more and more you go through these, and I think we're through – I did the eight – I was planning to do the eight SEC opponents and then maybe circle back to Louisville at the end. So, we're about halfway through that, I guess. I guess we've gone through four. Outside of Alabama, it's a whole lot of question marks. And I ha- we haven't gotten to the A&M one yet. We had Brody Miller of The Athletic on to talk LSU. And LSU should be pretty good defensively. But, like, what are they going to be offensively? Ed's got two new coordinators again. And so, like, the general consensus seems to be that this division really is – wide open beyond whatever Alabama is going to do. I think A&M will end up being pretty good, but who is playing quarterback for A&M? So you just never know. 
And, you know, this is something I kind of mentioned right before we start recording. Like, this will like, get you in trouble, I guess, pretty quick. But you look at the schedule, there's only one game that you're automatically setting in stone as a loss for the most part, right? Like, you could make a case for all 11 games on the schedule other than that game in Tuscaloosa in week five. And there's not been very many years where the SEC has been that way. Auburn, first-year head coach. You know, A&M should be pretty good, but you get them in Oxford. I think LSU will be better, but you get them in Oxford. I mean, two of their first – two of their four SEC road games are against schools with first-year head coaches. That's uh, that's that's a pretty good break. So, it's it, I guess the more and more I get further into it, it seems like there just seems to be more opportunity for Ole Miss, even if they – like, they could be six or one at one point in the schedule and not even really be that good. Remember that Matt Luke team in 18 – that was like five and two after they won that rock fight against Arkansas. And you're like, how are these guys five and two? It's probably a less extreme version of that you could have in mid-October with this team. Yeah, because, I mean, that, that team came back down to earth. I don't think this – because, I, I mean, I'll tell you, and I'm, this is probably a little redundant because we've talked about this the last few days on the podcast. I've seen a lot of Ole Miss football teams. I've seen good teams. I've seen bad teams. I've seen very average teams. I mean, I've been I've been around football practice and fall camp since 2005, I guess, if I do it correctly in my head. Um, my God, I'm old. And um, this team just looks like one of the better teams. And I'm not even talking about – obviously, they have one of the better quarterbacks in Matt Corral, who – He's had a hellaciously good week of practice. He, I mentioned this the other day. He, he is, he is leading better than he's ever led before. He's jumping around. He's making every throw. I mean, there, there's some issues on that offense. There's things we're waiting to see on the defense. Issues may be strong, but unknowns, I guess, is the way to put it. But Matt's been exceptional. Um, you know, Nick Broker talked about it today that hey, he's a whole different level. He looks different. He's, he's even much better than last year to this point, but I'm talking about even physically. I don't know if this is just a credit to Wilson Love, and I'm not trying to do that thing of, oh, well, the current coach is great, you know, as always. But that offensive line has gotten in better shape. They're bigger. They're more fit. They're not as kind of chubby as they've been in years past. They put good weight on everybody. The secondary is completely different looking on a defensive side of the standpoint. The running backs are pretty deep. I mean, they just – they look like an SEC football team. And I know that's a kind of a cliche thing. I know that's something that you hear a lot in different ways. But Ole Miss hasn't been able to say that in a while. I mean, in all honesty, I don't know that Ole Miss has been able to say that since like 2015, 2016. Just straight getting off the bus, look what they look like during a first week of practice in shorts and shoulder pads. They have retooled that roster to a point of you have a lot of players who look like they belong in this league. I, 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 what you, something you said there reminded me of a conversation that I really just had in passing with Neil one time. Maybe it was a year or two ago. It might have been right after they changed coaching staff. So I, I really can't remember where it was, but it was somewhere in the year to 18-month-ago range or two years ago, somewhere in that neighborhood, where we were talking about the previous strength staff. So I guess it would have been right after Wilson Love got there. And Neil made the comment, um, and again, this was just us talking in passing. Like, I don't think this was on anything, but – there weren't a lot of guys that had their bodies completely changed from the time that they arrived at Ole Miss. I mean, offensive linemen, probably the one exception to that, just because if you look like you did in high school as an offensive lineman, there's zero shot you're ever getting on the field in the SEC. But just in general, particularly on the defensive side, there weren't a lot of complete body transformations where a guy shows up at camp, you know, maybe from freshman to sophomore year, and his sophomore camp, you're like, holy hell, like what did this guy do in the offseason? You didn't see a lot of that. And obviously, I'm not there now. You're out there at practice every day. And from the way you just 
spoke about it. It sounds like that's becoming more common. And I never thought about it that way before, but I kind of, that always stuck with me for whatever reason. And the more I thought back about it, I'm like, it really is kind of true. It's a bunch of guys that look the same in year four as they did in year two. And so I think that matters. And I think you can tell a difference because I think Wilson Love is good at his job. And uh, I think the results are paying off, certainly in terms of just a get off the bus perspective. And probably a talent thing too, right? I know they're not there yet, particularly on the defensive side of the ball from what they'd like to be both at the top end and a depth standpoint, but they have more SEC football players on the defensive side of the football than they have at any point in the last half decade. Do you think that's fair? I think they do in multiple spots. You know, you, you look at it, I mean, look, is their defense going to be 2014 where they led the nation in scoring defense? Hell no. You know, you're not going to be that. You're not going to have some of the sheer talent on that side of the ball that maybe you've had a few other years as well. But We'll see. I'm still worried a little bit about the front. Um, you know, what are you going to get from Sam Williams? Are you going to get a consistent disruptive presence on the edge? Or are you going to get kind of a head case? And I mean, no offense to Sam, but that's what we've seen to this point throughout his Ole Miss career. I mean, you know, it's a contract year for him. Uh, it's last chance so far in practice. He's looked pretty locked in. He's even kind of been a teacher a little bit out there. I mean, he has. He's He's looking like a different dude. We'll see what that looks like. I love Cedric Johnson. I think he's going to have a big year. I really do like what he gives up there. But you know, Tariqus Tisdale's playing nose right now. Um, that's somebody who, and this is a credit to Nick Suss, he mentioned it the other day to me just in passing. Suss said he heard a scout and kind of walk by and go, hey, I've been waiting on 22 to do something for a long time. And that's kind of what you feel like with Tisdale. Like, he hasn't been bad, but he looks so good, and he's kind of, you know, a physical freak, but he hasn't necessarily put it together where he's looked at like that on the field all the time. So there's just question marks up front. I don't know what to make of that. They don't have to be great, but they do have to be better. They've got to have some presence. They've got to get to the quarterback to help other areas. But I think you're going to see a stark improvement at, at, at linebacker. I mean, that's even when Jacquez Jones headed to Kentucky and him being there because I think Lakia Henry has come back for his fifth year. He looked like he was in much better shape today. We talked to him with a media interview, and he mentioned that he had lost some body fat. He'd gotten fitter basically to stay on the field on third down because if he was only a only an inside linebacker, only whatever, he couldn't stay on the field on third down and he wanted to play more reps. So you got Momo. You know what you're going to get there. you got Lakia. Chance Campbell obviously is a big-time addition from Maryland. He can play inside. He can play outside. I think you're going to see a lot of improvement with Daylon Gill there at linebacker as well. I think you've got some dudes that fill some spots, provide some versatility for Durkin and Partridge. And then it's early, and they're going to need help from up front because, you know, the, the, the best pass defense is a good rush. That's how, you, that's how you play pass defense. But they're secondary. I know I keep harping on it. You get a full season, though, out of Otis Reese. They've moved, they moved Keytron Smith inside where he looks like a completely different player. You've got Jalen Jones back for his 12th year with the program at this point. I mean, you've got a lot of different elements there in that back end that I do think are veterans, are seasoned, are, are ready to make more of an impact. I mean, I, I think Zach mentioned it on yesterday's podcast. I, I think Bill Connolly had Ole Miss projected with maybe the 59th ranked defense in the country um, for the season. If they're a top 60 defense, this team probably is going nine and three this season. And maybe yeah, I think without, uh, without a shadow of a doubt, I mean, if, so in 19, and now particularly looking back on it, doesn't Mike McIntyre deserve some sort of plaque or medal for what he did with that defense in 19? And they finished, and I, I should go look this up because this is like the third time I've gotten in front of a microphone and like made this point without knowing exactly where they finished. But they were high 70s or at the worst like 82nd, I think, 
if I'm not mistaken, in terms of 19. And they were in two games off the top of my head, A&M that year, I think, and Auburn because of the defense, and they weren't even good. You just need a base level of competency. And so I I'm, I don't know about you. I'm a fan of Bill Connolly's metrics and kind of how he gauges teams. They seem to be pretty accurate, and I couldn't agree more. If they're a top 60 defense, they're going to be in every game they play, and I think Alabama included. Now, do I think Alabama will eventually pull away late in the game? Sure, but it's not going to be the, you know, just non-competitive, I guess, beatdown that it's been in years past. And even last year where the game was close because Lane Kiffin called a brilliant game offensively, Matt Corral played a brilliant game, but you never felt like Ole Miss was actually going to win that game or even really threatened to. Like, they could stick around in Tuscaloosa longer. So, yeah, if they're a top 60 defense, I think 9-3 and three is absolutely on the table. Um, but as you mentioned, I kind of like to see it first. You mentioned the linebacker part of it, and I read your notes from either yesterday or today. I can't remember which one this one was in. But kind of a, a key piece to both aspects of what you're talking about, whether it's linebacker or getting pressure, particularly on the edge, isn't it a guy that kind of watches Cedric, Cedric Johnson, however you say his name? Uh, I know it's a low bar, but he was technically the second second in sacks last year. I mean, that's technically a fact. So, like, that's a guy that seems like he's gotten some first-team run uh, through the first couple of days of camp, and particularly even if he's just kind of a pass rush specialist that you could move around a little bit, that, that would be a huge piece for them. Took a break in the show to tell you about Community Mortgage, Oxford, Memphis, Soto County, and Chattanooga. Underwriting and processing is done in Memphis. They're getting local underwriting that understands your market, a leader in condo financing, the float down option, and much more. You can find Jason at 662-234-2704. Also, here on the podcast, we're partners with Northeast Spark, S-P-A-R-C, service people across rural communities. they got two packages, the Ignite, that's 100 Mbps, or the Gig. That's called the Blaze. That powers the Clark Ford Studio. I've got it at home as well. Your hometown team bring you world-class broadband, N-E-Spark with a C, dot com, 662-238-3159. Phone services available as well as parental controls, network security, wireless mesh extenders, and more. So call the office for details. Find the best and the fastest internet around here in the Oxford area. Again, that's N-E-Spark.com or 662-238-3159. Five nine podcast also brought to you by Visit Oxford. That's visitoxfordms.com slash events to find out everything going on locally this week and every week coming up August 13th. The busy season kind of uh, kicking back in gear a little bit. Students back before long. More events coming to the calendar. The Yachtman Patalfa Arts Council presenting the Iron Bartender here this Friday. That's uh, at the Powerhouse. I'm one of the uh, guest judges for that. Ten different bartenders from around the area going to uh, put their cocktails up to the test, competition style. If you're there, you can try them out. You can vote on them. Have a big time there at the Powerhouse. You can find out more at OxfordArts.com to see uh, about purchasing tickets. More details about all the different restaurants and bars uh, that are uh, participating in that and much more. So also on Thursday, or sorry, on Friday, is the Oxford Bus Tours back. 3 o'clock, 4 o'clock. Call Visit Oxford to reserve your spot. You can get adult tickets, children tickets. Remember, with the adult ticket, just one, $100 off with a pair of Blue Delta jeans. So a little partner and partner action there between two of our our, our favorite and longtime sponsors. Uh, Also, August 28th, Eat in the Street. That's Jackson Avenue East celebrating the new uh, street design there on Jackson Avenue. they got family activities throughout the day, music from 5 to 9. Drew Holcomb and the neighbors are the, uh, the headlining act there. 
late at night. So pick up some food. They will have picnic tables, things spread out for you to eat there in the street and enjoy some family-friendly activity all day long. And then for all real estate needs here in the Oxford area, nickstanoxford.com, 662-281-1200. That's O'Keefe Graham and Clay DeWeese, two good friends of mine. I've used them for uh, both sides of the selling and buying process multiple times since I've been in Oxford. They will take care of you. They'll get what you need accomplished as quickly as possible. Be very thorough in doing it. Clay's your District 12 House Representatives here for Oxford as uh, as well. So nickstanoxford.com. You can see gallery view. You can see agent listings. Plenty of different things there to get the home buying process started and close with nickstanoxford.com. 662-281-1200. Remember, they have a new content item they're sponsoring starting next week. We'll talk a lot of football. That'll be out on Sunday as we recap the first week of Ole Miss uh, football fall camp and then proceed throughout the football season there, courtesy of nickstanoxford.com. And then podcasts also brought to you by G&M Pharmacy, also Tyson Drugs, Tyson Drugs in Holly Springs, G&M here in Oxford, 662-236-2222. They deliver locally in the Oxford area, and they will take care of you with all your local pharmacy needs. And remember, if you're a state or school employee and you see that CVS care mark on your uh, prescription benefit manager, don't worry about it. You're all good. Don't do anything. Stay with Tyson Drugs. Stay with G&M and get the best local pharmacy around with those. They deliver local and they can take care of you. Again, that's 662-236-2222. Yeah, because I mean, I think he can potentially stabilize one side of it. And if he can stabilize one side of it, you've got Sam Williams on the other side. Potentially. I mean, it's you're running perfect world a little bit with some of these scenarios. And I understand that not everything's going to work out. You're going to have some injuries. You're going to have a lot of different things. But they can put in 11 to 14 guys out there that make a lot of sense as an SEC defense. And that's what, you know, even last year, I mean, that's what in years past, you just haven't had the ability to do that, where you even can go, hey, if this guy gives you whatever, then that's a good thing. Or what his average is, that's SEC quality. I think Cedric Johnson's a great example of that. Um, I think, you know, even like, you know, Atavius Robinson. Well, um, I, I think guys like that are examples of that where it's, hey, I, th- that that makes a lot of sense. You're actually putting a defense out there that logically can stop people, can get off the field on third down, can do these different things if they can rush the passer. I mean, that still remains my one question mark that we won't know until they they lace it up in Atlanta, frankly. Um, because, you know, here's why it's a little bit of a it, – it's a great thing for them, but it's also something where we're going to have a complete unknown. They're going against a really damn good offense every day. And that's in seven on seven. That's in eleven on eleven. That's in scrimmages. That's in whatever. So anything they do well, or any positives, or any day that they win, that's a pretty big deal. Because you know, even even in seven on seven, I mean, you're out there having to guard Ely and Plumley and, and and Braylon and Dontario and guys that run around pretty good or SEC quality athletes there in that seven on seven, and a quarterback who doesn't miss much. Um, you know, Ole Miss offensively, I've got some questions about their ability to throw to the tight end. But otherwise, on offense, I don't have many questions at all right now. Particularly because you've had Ben Brown have the ability to go back to guard, so that kind of really solidified one of the only, like, I guess, question marks you had. There's probably a little bit of a depth issue. If, you, if you're not healthy on the offensive line, the tackles would probably make you a little nervous. Beyond the, They're pretty good the inside, front. but I do, I do really worry about outside. Yeah, I think they're fine at top level, but like, I mean, there's a world where you start the season even fully healthy with Carter Colquitt 
as the one of the second tackles, is it not? I mean, I was kind of doing the math, doing a newsletter earlier today. I'm sure something else would come of it, but like there's a world where he's second on the two deep, even if they're fully healthy. So you're worried a little bit about the depth there, but I agree. You don't really have very many question marks. And whenever Casey Kelly comes back healthy, he seemed at least competent and serviceable once Yaboa opted out last year and seemed like a decent option. Haven't seen a ton from Chase Rogers, but I agree. And kind of bringing it back for one more thing I was thinking about when something you said with regarding the defense earlier, Sam Williams is probably the biggest key to the pass rush in all of this, right? Because it's a guy that in his defense, you know, they didn't have a spring last year. He had some off the field, an off the field hiccup that kind of derailed his trajectory and preparing for an otherwise abnormal season in its own right. A guy that hasn't played football in general, very long overcome a lot of stuff, even just to get to this point, Like, it is a contract year. It's make or break. But how big of a game changer is it if that guy becomes a consistent threat pass rushing to where you have to commit so much attention? Like, whatever you thought about Rob Kimdichie's effort or whatever every doubt it will miss, he commanded a ton of attention. And I know that's on the interior most of the time. But if Sam Williams can become that, that elevates everyone else around them, like around him without them having to do anything. Well, the message board picked up on it. You know, we asked Lane on Monday, I guess, about Sam Williams and whatnot. And he said, hey, you know, he's got to show up. He's got to be consistent. Lane was doing that statement thing where he was talking directly to the player through the media. I mean, a- as he was saying the sentences, I'm like, yeah, that that dude is like looking Sam in the eyes right now as he's saying this thing. Because, no, I mean, I think you're almost pleading with the kid to go, hey, look, it, it's right there. Like, for your future, for what we can potentially be on defense, I mean – no, if you're talking about like the two or three guys, I mean, we always do it for baseball, but it works for football too. If you want to give me like some stats for some defenders, just give me Sam Williams on how many snaps he played, on how many tackles for loss, on how many sacks. Like, tell me what he did, and I'll be able to retool this thing in some different directions. Because, you know, if he didn't do anything, then I go, okay, who stepped up? Who had to fill those spots? Where are they at from a depth standpoint? But if he has like a fairly significant, I don't even mean like all SEC, I just mean like very league above average productive year, they really do have a lot of options to kind of fill that thing in right there. Do you show him a check? Do you like call him in the office and just say like, here, son, this is what a late first rounder goes for. This is how many teams that are going to need a pass rusher. And in the NFL these days, you can name 30 of them. Like, is that what you do? And you stick it in his locker. I know that's probably more of a Hugh Freeze stick, but like, in some ways, like I would, and I'm sure Kiffin has done this and they're much smarter than I am, but like, I would almost just sit him down and just be like, you know, team aside for a second. If you can do this every snap, here's what, like how your entire future could change. Cause I mean, I know he's a little bit older, but even at like 22, I imagine you're not thinking about that totally, but if you could like tangibly quantify, Hey, if you do this, here's what could be in your bank account. That would get my attention. Did you write the big profile of him a few years ago? I did. I got tipped off by somebody. I can't remember what it was, but I just was kind of, you know, that was no offense to anyone, but that was a relatively boring team there in 19. It turned out to be even more boring than I thought. Uh, But yeah, I I did. I I wrote in, you know, he had switched schools. He was late playing football, kind of came from a really rough family situation and did really well. And, you know, you talk about kind of self-starter, self-motivator. He had to kind of be that way over his last six-ish months of high school just to get where he got to. And 
you know, for guys, I mean, how many kids that are uber talented go to JUCO and just flame out because they don't have the self-discipline to kind of do what you need to do every day to get out? And to his credit, he did that in spades. And I know it hasn't always translated to, you know, on the field, every down effort. But I wonder if that's just part of the learning curve of playing in the SEC because he did have the 19th season, didn't really have a normal offseason, and now it's this. Like, when you think about it, his career hasn't been that long. And he seems like a good kid. I, I – I hope just for his personal sake, because it's a cool story that it does work out. There's something too for an energetic thing and in, in, in a final year and in, in, in the focus that comes with that. And also, should it be like this? Probably not, but it just is. Also on a team that you have some expectations and should be pretty competitive. You know what I mean? When you're coming in somewhere and I mean, if you're, if you're in danger of not showing up and being consistent, being on a pretty mediocre football team is, is, is somewhat of a surefire way to, to, to not meet or exceed those expectations. Yeah, I mean, if I saw Rich Rodriguez running John Rice Plumley to the right and to the left every time on first and second down for like 19 straight first downs, I probably, if I'm gassed and people are yelling at me in Jordan-Hare Stadium, I'm not sure I'd want to go as hard than if we had something on the line. But again, never played football outside of like seventh grade, so I wouldn't know. I'm just saying that seems like a, a – a reasonable deduction to make, even though in a combat sport where you're trying hard every down. Did you weigh 110 pounds in seventh grade? Ooh. You know, I'll go, I have to go back and check the combine numbers at Jackson Academy, but I would have been borderline. I'm going to say no. I'm going to go less. Do you really you think so? I think. I'm not sure. I, I, here's a great – I was a – 95-pound tight end in fifth grade. Tight end. Well, I think it was more like, shit, we got to put this kid somewhere. And you couldn't run enough to actually play a skill position, so. Right, because that's back in the day where everybody had to play. It wasn't like, hey, kid, go fill up this Gatorade. Like, that would have, you know, your fifth grade football. We're still intramural, so they're like, all right, we'll throw this kid at tight end. That makes sense. Okay. No, I could go at the knees. I could cut block. In my freshman football program, they had me listed at 5'11". You shrunk. Uh, a lot, yeah. Because, like, I claim 5'8", but I'm probably not. Like, it's probably like 5'7 and a half, like 5'7 and three quarters. I've claimed that on my driver's license a time or two. And, like, the second time, I lost a license one time. I had to go get it, and I, like, spat out the 5'8 height, and the lady just kind of, like, mm. <laughs> She put it anyway, but she gave me the look. It's like, no, you're not, but – didn't say anything, but the look was all, all that was needed. So I, I'm on that train with you. Was, was I right in saying that, like, in your story? Was it Sam's shot? No, so he, he had a, a, basically a, a relative that he considered his brother. He, was, he, he had two close loved ones lost in the crossfire of basically, what was essentially gun violence in Birmingham. So he, he, was, he was in the house one day oh. of his brother his, – kid that he considered his brother. I'm not sure they were actually like actual blood brothers in his room, but they were related somehow just six, 7 a.m. on a Sunday morning. There was a gunfight outside. One went through the window, got the kid in the stomach and he bled out and died. And then two years ago, I want to make sure I'd have to go back and look at the story. Right. But kind of same area of town. He had a two-year-old nephew who was just playing on her couch inside the house. Another stray bullet comes in and got her in the head and she died immediately. So like, Gun violence had very much shaped a lot of his background, and he had to overcome a lot of it. Well, it wasn't 
like none of it was intended for him in the sense that like it wasn't like something he was caught up in. It was just the area he grew up in and it was the product of the circumstances that his family grew up in because he was in Montgomery by that time. But uh, definitely lost a couple of loved ones to uh, what became a, uh, I guess, drug, drug violence, gun violence, excuse me, epidemic in uh, South Birmingham. Good grief. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I remembered a little bit of the story, but I couldn't really remember or pick up the, uh, the entire thing. Um, we keep getting asked about kickers. They're doing almost all of their work indoors, so I have no idea what's going on with, with kickers or not kickers at, at, at this point. Um, Is Caden Costa there? Yeah, I, like I said, I think so. But again, I we don't see kickers. Um, I've I've done I've done a pretty good job of learning numbers for the offense and defense, and I'm kind of like proud of myself on how quickly I've been able to acclimate to that a little bit with the newcomers because it does take a minute. But I've done a really poor job with special teams, even to the point of I kind of forgot Mac Brown was the punter for a minute. How did you forget that? That guy commands the room. He does come into room. That is that that is very that is very very true. But we just have not uh have not have not seen him. He's much. got quite a few personal fouls on the rap sheet as well. Kicker wise, though, two questions. One, what came of uh what came of Luke Logan's pro day? I never heard. I never got the scouting report on that. He was there. He kicked. I, I'm guessing that didn't work out as well. Yeah. Two. Costa is here. He's number forty three. Okay, so you have that, and in there a Jackson Academy kid. I'd bet on him just out of habit, but it's it's him and then an MC kid, like MC being Madison Central, who's like, is it Kale Nation? I think. Yeah, that's Kale Nation. He actually was in the running for kickoff specialist last year, so I I guess that's a possibility this year. And the other kid is Land Gebhardt. Is that correct? That is correct. Yes. Jesus, if he didn't live in Eastover, I'd like to I'd like to see proof of address. But you know, you got three <laughs> you got three options, so. I mean, you assume it's like, how, how do you, have you ever wrote a story on a kicking battle? Uh, I, I don't remember. Like, how do you ga- even gauge that? Like, you assume the highest rated kid will win out, but like, would it shock you if one of those walk on kids won the job? Like, who, what the hell do we know? No, I, I have no idea. Yeah, I, I, I've got nothing at all. I, I know that my very first year covering the team, so either Ed's first or second year, he just kept putting kickers on scholarship. So I think Ed had like five kickers on scholarship at one point, counting the punter. Um, cause you would look up and it was like, what the hell? And then what the hell? And it was like another one and another one and another one. Cause that would have been like, that was like Rob Park and a kid named like maybe Matt Hinkle and like Will Mosley. Like it was just kicker after kicker after kicker after kicker. Matt Hinkle was a Jackson Academy kid. It really just became kicker you. So the land Gephardt comes from a long line of kickers at the, uh, at the corner of Ridgewood and uh, Sheffield. I, I do wonder this, like, I mean, it, it can only go up, right? There's really not much of a world, and I don't mean to, like, dump on the kid, but, like, there's not a whole lot. Of, like, it couldn't be a whole lot worse. But that did affect Ole Miss last year. They had to be hyper-aggressive offensively, and some game management stuff really became non-game management stuff because what are you going to do? Let the kid hook a field goal in its worst field position? You might as well go for it. Well, see, that's the thing. I mean, Kiffin made so much sense. Whatever – I forget what media op it was. I just – they all kind of run together. But he was asked, you know, about how he's even grown a little more with analytics and different things. And he said that, you know, he continues to press the envelope. He's going to look at the numbers. He's going to look at the stats. He's going to figure out what makes the most sense. He goes, but there's a different element to that beyond simply looking at the stats and making a decision. Beyond that, you've got to know your own personnel. You've got to have a feel for the game because there are – whether it's – 
scientific or not, there is a momentum in the way something is moving in the game and the way game control is going at the point. He said, but you also have to know what your players can do. Because his point was he's he's even more hyper-aggressive because, yeah, there was no guarantee, I mean, no offense to Luke Logan, that the kick was going to be made. He's like, so if the kick being made is 50% and then it's, you know, 50% to go for it and make it or whatnot, he said it completely changed the percentages. He said versus if you have a kicker who is going to make 99% of his kicks, well, suddenly it's changing the numbers around a little bit. That's doing different things with the analytics because of what you actually have on the field. So I I always think he's going to be more on the side of being aggressive. And he's going to play up the thing because, I mean, it's good for recruiting. It's good for just offensive PR to do the, hey, you know, don't don't kick field goals, score touchdowns, and all that kind of stuff that Lane does. But if he has a surefire kicker, it does at least give him the option to grab some points and do different things in football games. Because, I mean, frankly, anything beyond 20 yards last year, he was pretty highly stressed on what to do and how to and, and how to figure things. And it also made it worse, and I think they were better this year with this, it also made it worse because his interior offensive line had a hard time getting pushed last year. So when they had short down-to-go distances in the red zone, they had a really hard time running the football. So in addition to not really wanting to kick, he also was having to scheme pass plays and misdirections and different things because they had kind of an – even though they, read, they led the SEC in rushing, they had a very – weak kind of goal line push drive the football inside the red zone and because of that it did it it changed his play calling and I think changed his stress levels in a lot of a lot of circumstances yeah absolutely and like it makes you I guess if like if you're an Ole Miss fan grateful for Gary Wunderlich I, the one time I did a story on a kicker was like kind of Wunderlich's peak he had made the game winner at A&M the year before and I was working in-house that year and they wanted me to write a story on him and I was interviewing uh, Will Gleason for it, and the Australian. like I was like, yeah, you know, I was kind of asking him because he was the other part of the battery on that kick against A and M, and I was like, do you say anything to him pressure wise? He was like, nah, I just told the kid a joke and like loosened up the mood, and we ran out there and just made the thing. And I was like, well, what happens if he gets hurt? Like, can you kick? And he was like, hell no. I think his exact quote was, hell no, mate, I can't kick for shit. So like, if you can find one, you're fine. But like that, you know, having that one is huge because if Ole Miss, you know, if he had gotten hurt for any extended period of time, Ole Miss might be, you know, a half decade into these kicking woes. It's it's why look, I'm not a coach and I respect their ability to do whatever they need to do. But if you find a really freaking good kicker, put that cat on scholarship. Like it's worth the it's worth the scholarship to get the better kicker. You cannot convince me otherwise. I know, like, you know, forever Alabama was like, no, absolutely not. You're a walk-on until you do whatever. Well, you see where that got them. They missed kick after kick after kick for years. I mean, if you actually can find one of those dudes, you got to lock him up. Um, Ole Miss made one kick over 40 yards in the last two seasons. In the last two seasons. One for four in 19, 0 for three in 18. Or, excuse me, 0 for three in 20. Oh, my God. Yeah, that's not great. So, they did not – they made one field goal if they did not get to at least the 22-yard line. Yes, exactly right. Yeah. Now, granted – They made the red zone or they didn't score. Yeah, and they were 30 – 38 for 45 from 20 to 39. So, they were okay. But, yeah, the last – no, not terrible, but yeah, over 40, one made kick in the last two seasons. That's remarkable. 
Yeah, it's not great. Also keep getting asked who's returning kicks, and the answer right now is the whole damn roster. They have, like, the entire team returning punch right now, so I have no way to make up what that looks like. I don't know. Beats me. They prefer to be Ely, but there's probably a world where they want to get him the football in so many different ways. Do you really want that kid twisting an ankle returning kicks? And beyond that, like, once it becomes – okay with the returning kickoffs. I don't I, – I, my, my hunch is he does not return punts. Right. Eighth-year senior Jalen Jones actually has a kick return for a touchdown to his name, if I'm not mistaken. I think he took the opening kick back of the 18th season against Tech. Maybe that's an option. That is correct. Now, I don't know how he runs now compared to them with the injuries and different things. But, yeah, I think I think Ely is still the primary kick returner because I do think they trust the other backfield guys enough to be able to allow him to do that. But I, I have no idea what they'll do for punting. I mean, it's seriously like 10 dudes when they're, when they're doing that practice right now. So I don't, I don't know what that looks like. How about John Rice Plumley? We, we made it this far without talking about him. Um, he has not taken a snap at quarterback. I'll tell you, he still has got to handle drops a little bit. I mean, there's still a couple drops that stick out in, in, in practices and different things. I mean, it's still new. I was told from the very beginning, hey, the only thing to potentially worry about is what his hands look like, how those kind of progress as he as he gets into the position. But the credit to him, because, I mean, he is an athlete. There's no doubt about that. He's added weight since baseball season. He's in football weight. He looks better from a football standpoint. And when he does catch the football and does things, he looks really freaking natural. I mean, it, it's it's impressive when he pulls off plays. I mean, so I don't – I don't know what kind of expectations to put on it. I don't. I don't know how many touches a game he's going to get. I, I know nothing about that in a, in a way to actually make it make sense. But I'm just telling you, there are times where he pops as good as anybody in the field, not named Jerry and Ely. The Oxford Exxon Podcast also brought to you by Comer Heating and Air. Comer Heating and Air is the name you can trust. With more than 50 years of professional HVAC experience in Oxford, Tupelo, and the surrounding area, get in touch. With Eric and all the great people at Comer, 662-801-1777 for all of your heating and cooling needs. Again, Comer Heating and Air, 662-801-1777. The College Corner is your one-stop Rebel Shop, two locations in the Jackson area and Ridgeland. It's next to Fleet Feet and Flowood. It's next to Half Shell. If you don't live in Jackson, just go to collegecornerstore.com. Plus, you can find them on Facebook and Instagram. Again, the College Corner, collegecornerstore.com. Also brought to you by Pinnacle. They're based in Madison, Mississippi. Clients in more than 20 states. Advisors in multiple states as well. Also home to the Pinnacle Advisory Services team where they'll conduct a complimentary, no obligation, benchmarking and analysis of your current 401k plan. Mention that you heard about Pinnacle and they'll take care of you with a little bit extra kind service. Martin Palomo and the people at Pinnacle. Great to us. They'll be great to you as well. It's mypinwealth.com. Also brought to you by John Edwards, Regency Travel Incorporated in Memphis. Part of Virtuoso, it's a worldwide network of travel partners that allows John to supply his clients with added values, unique benefits, simply not available to other travelers. Get in touch with John, give him some parameters, give him a budget, and let him give you options and help you make your vacation one that will be a li- one that will create a lifetime of unique memories. 901-494-3387 or Edwards at regencytravel.net. First-time clients can save $50 off their first booked trip just by telling John you heard about Regency Travel on the podcast. Also brought to you by Grenada Nissan. If you're in the market for a Nissan vehicle, Grenada Nissan's the place to go. A complete selection of new and previously owned Nissan vehicles 
Great lease deals as well. Just off Interstate 55 in Grenada, GrenadaNissanUSA.com. And we're brought to you by Whitney McNutt of Tommy Morgan Incorporated Realtors, serving you for all your real estate needs in Oxford and Tupelo. Whitney sells condos, land, commercial, and residential family homes. You can reach her at 662-567-2573 or 662-842-3844. And we're brought to you by Alpha Specialties. Located at 1670 Highway 80 in Pearl, Mississippi, Alpha is your trailer-specific professional. If you want to haul it, they can call it at Alpha. It is the premium trailer dealership in Mississippi. It is home to Load Trail, the premium brand trailer, highest quality utility equipment, dump, and gooseneck trailers being built today. They also have um, Hallmark Cargo Trailers, one of the most quality cargo trailers on the market, perfect for hauling goods to markets and shows, ATVs to deer camp, hauling race cars, and more. They also do all types of truck accessories, and listeners can get 10% off a yearly trailer service and inspection at Alpha's full-service shop, where they repair all types of trailers, concession, horse, utility, enclosed, gooseneck, RV, and more, 601-932-9798, or check them out at alphaofms.com. We're also brought to you by The Rogue. The Rogue is your destination for fine men's clothing. Their stylist hand-select pieces from top designers, from work to lifestyle to nightlife. There's the perfect something for everyone at The Rogue. All the best items from Peter Millar, Martin Dingman, Jack Victor, Halsey, True Grit, and more. Visit The Rogue at 4450 I-55 North in Jackson or at therogue.com. And we're brought to you by Joey Erickson, Hair and Gear Chevrolet. Let Joey help you find the vehicle you're looking for at a price you can afford. Choose from a full selection of new Chevy vehicles or get a great deal on numerous brands of reliable pre-owned vehicles. Just give Joey a call or a text on his cell, 662-571-2367. Tell him what you're looking for or stop by 1685 High Street in Jackson to test drive that new or used vehicle you've been wanting and let Joey earn your business. Be sure to tell him that you heard about Joey on the Oxford Exxon podcast or the Soft Verbal podcast and with any purchase vehicle, just mention the Oxford Exxon podcast or the Soft Verbal and you get $50 gas. One card. of the things I wrote about in Wednesday's newsletter was like, because I found it interesting that Kiffin, this is something Walden and I had talked about, I guess a couple times. Like, so Kiffin kind of shot, seemingly shot down the notion that, you know, say Corral twisted an ankle against Louisville, like, would it be Plumley? It's like, no, he's working at receiver full time. I'm not sure I 100% believe that in terms of the season opener, but. It, his line of thinking did seem genuine to where, like, if we're going to ask this kid to make the position switch, asking him to go back and forth isn't really fair either. So that kind of brings the whole QB2 thing into focus as well, right? Like, it seems like Altmyer's probably the kid with the more upside, but can Kay Dent's been in the program longer? And, like, it's a like – Weldon put it a, a good way the other day. So it's a question you hope you never have to answer, but it is kind of an interesting development we're probably being stubborn on this. We have, this is not sourced. We have no reason to believe this. Almost all the media members, because we've kind of discussed it on the sidelines during practices, believe that if a number two quarterback is needed for a considerable amount of time, it will still be Plumlee. Um, I don't know why. It's just what I think. I think they would go to John Rice if Matt, if something happened to Matt where he misses games. Now, there's no way you're giving John Rice mop up against Austin P or something along those lines. I think that is Kincaid or, or, or Luke at this point. But my gut tells me John Rice would still be the quarterback should a long-term answer be needed right now. Because, look, you know, Luke 
I thought he popped pretty good today. He got a lot more second team reps uh, here on, I guess, Wednesday is what day it is right now. I'm losing train of thought. Um, versus Monday and Tuesday, I know next to nothing about quarterback play. So I'll say that Lane might tell me I'm a complete and utter idiot when I mention this fact since. I didn't think Kincaid looked overly comfortable on, on Monday and Tuesday. It just it, it did not seem like maybe his decision-making, his movement was where – even I kind of thought it in the spring. I just thought he had a little bit of a slow start to practice. I thought he did look better today in the reps that he got. Luke throws a great-looking ball. You know, Kincaid's got plenty of arm strength. It's just kind of can you get it out? Can you be a point guard? Luke has the upside. He needs to put on weight. Just needs to get better. I mean, he, he's only – he should have only been here for a few weeks if it wasn't for, like, early enrollment. So, I mean, I'm not putting pressure on Luke Altmaier at this point. Um, but I, my point being, I don't know that either one of those guys seems ready to take the reins um, from Corral at this moment. I mean, it was it was one of the hypothetical questions for the podcast at some point, whether it be today or tomorrow or anything else. You know, if unless you see vast improvement, obviously with Luke, he has plenty of time. He has huge upside. You know, does Ole Miss end up considering the transfer portal in the in the winter just to go get somebody to add to the competition when when Matt does leave and go pro at the end of the year? Yeah, and one of the things on top of all that too is I was I can't take credit for this because Weldon brought up the point, but like one of the things they saw in the eval process was there was a game that a couple of them were at at Starkville High School where they had some serious offensive line trouble, and the kid apparently just got knocked down and knocked down and knocked down and just kept kind of getting back up and. Like, I know it's, like, something that's hard to, to quantify, and I guess that's why they call it an intangible. But, like, you know, kind of the BS cliches aside, one of the things they really did, like, I guess, relish or value in Luke Altmaier as a recruit beyond the arm talent was the kid is tougher than hell. And maybe it was just one game, smaller sample size. But if that is needed, like, I, I don't think he'll be scared of the moment. And for all the struggles that State had last year, Will Rogers is another kid that came in and wasn't scared at all. And different offense, different system, different circumstances, but there is a base level of, like, fearlessness you'd have to have to come in and to an ad, presumably an adverse circumstance like that and be competent and thrive or whatever. And it seems like Luke Altmaier has that in spades. And I know most of us, myself included, have not seen that because he hasn't played a game. But I do wonder if that factors into it at all. And I wonder how like keenly aware this current coaching staff is of that, because that was one of the first things out of Weldon's mouth when talking about evaluating him is this kid is tougher than hell and he can get hit 15 times. and He's going to get back up with the same enthusiasm the 16th time. Sounds simplistic again, but I don't think you can completely devalue that because you have to have that as a backup quarterback beyond a base level of skill set. And like you mentioned, being a point guard and getting the football out, you, you can't be peeing down your leg for the back of a better phrase in Tiger Stadium or something like that. And I think that's probably something to factor into this as well. Yeah, no, I, I like him. I mean, like I said, just because he's not ready today in his first fall weeks on practice, you know, on, on campus, period. I mean, you're not going to hold that against him. I, I think he very easily could be an SEC quarterback and a damn good one one day. There's, there, there's just no doubt about that. Um, it's also a little misleading to the eyes because you're comparing them to Corral. That's who you're seeing right. next to for everything that happens. And from a sheer ability level, I mean, Corral's about as good as we've seen in an Ole Miss uniform in a long time, just the way he looks in practice, the way he throws the ball, the way his release is. I mean, it's 
I'm, I'm not doing like an easy comparison where I go, oh, it's Chad Kelly. But, I mean, he, he has a lot of things that actually look better than Chad from a straight practice field standpoint and the way they look just kind of standing beside one another. So, I mean, it's – it's Matt, Matt has hit a different gear. I mean, I know we're pushing expectations through the roof. I know he has a lot of expectations. I know he's potentially a third or fourth quarterback at worst off the board in the NFL draft come, come April. But it, it, it does. Even compared to last year, I just see a different Matt Corral out there. And he one he deserves every bit of the accolades he's getting because you think in this day and age where college football is essentially free agency, what he had to deal with in nineteen and just having a complete maniac as his offensive coordinator, who between that and the head coach just pretty much tried to pigeonhole this offense into something they wanted it to be. Like I, I don't even know what I'm. I guess what I'm getting at is one. Being around the program, you could see that from day one, the talent and the skill set he had, even from just small sippets in practice and the arm talent that he had. But it's it's really kind of an incredible story, and I know all the cliched stories got written about him in SEC media days, but the fact that he's still here and doing what he's doing and kind of having some semblance of stability given his first two years in the program is, is honestly pretty remarkable. Um, or I guess first three years in the program, really. It's kind of remarkable. And so I just – you mentioned like expectations being sky high. I have a hard time thinking something like that. Like no matter, no like amount of expectations you could set on that kid would bother him at this point because of all the crap he's dealt with leading up to that. I mean, it, it, it's kind of crazy to think that this time two years ago in October, September of 2019, you know, there was a debate as to whether who they should play at quarterback. I mean, it, it, it really is wild. I mean, I, I don't know. It's just, I, I don't think that kid will be phased by any sort of expectation. And shocker, you give some kid some sort of continuity where he's not learning a new system every offseason, and he's probably going to look better than he did the year before. We've come a long way since Matt Corral was fighting Mississippi State at the Egg Bowl that night. And calling his own play? Oh, well, sorry, next year. I'm fat, you're right. Uh, what was that kid, Fred Peters, Marcus, what was his name? The the kid that he got into it with? It might have been Fred Peters. No, no, no. Um. J- Jamal, Jamal, J- is it Peters or at Jamal something? Peter. Yeah, Jamal. yeah, that's probably what it is. Yeah, they have come a long way. The ultimate irony in that is the the in-house clip they loved to pump for a while, where he was clearly visibly upset. He hugs Luke coming off the field, and they're like, he's telling him he's the future. We're going to build this together, only to you know undercut him from the knees. You know, <laughs> nine months later. But credit to the kid. I mean, there really is a real amount of mental fortitude from his recruitment on to kind of persevere and not go somewhere else. I mean, how Tate Martell's at like his fifth school. Like you got to love that what, where he's at mentally as well. Like Matt Corral could have easily been in Oregon. Yes. And knowing whatever the hell they're at Oregon at that point. I mean, the gift from God to both sides of it for Lane and Levy to get to Ole Miss and have Matt Corral. And then for the other side, for Matt to have that Rich Rodriguez train wreck, for to coming back to not knowing who they're hiring and somehow end up with like this manna from heaven where he has Lane Kiffin and Jeff Levy as his offensive minds. Because you but deserve credit for keeping the him side. there, right? They deserve credit for keeping him there. Because there's a world, no matter who, I know Lane's a charismatic personality, but can't you picture if you're Matt Corral in November of 19 or December of 19, you know, Lane Kiffin's walking in the IPF with his visor for the first time trying to convince you to stay, and you're like, no, to hell with this place. Like, I've seen what happens here. I'm out of here. Like, it, it's, it's, a, it's a two-way street. They both deserve credit. I mean, it's paying off now. 
yeah, I mean, they put trust in one another and said, you know, whatever. And I mean, instead, now it's all loose. And it's, it's. I mean, the, the way the program is just kind of shaped in general. I mean, you know, even today, like Jeff Levy's asked, hey, you know, what do you, you know, what, what do you see with like Jerry and Ely or something? He just goes, I would give him the ball. Like, I don't know. Like, I, yeah. basically, he's like, I either give him a ball or I'm stupid. And that was it. I was like, okay, yeah, that's, that's fair. I mean, look, Lane's offense is not overly complicated. It's, hey, take the best players and then get them out in space with the football. Yes. Which okay. is exactly what they need to do with Ely, and they shouldn't overcomplicate it. Set up one-on-one situations and see what happens. Speaking of being out in space, I know he's a good quarterback, but is there a part of you that wonders what Sam Howell's true ceiling is because he's been dealing with this Phil Longo shit show where they definitely put up yards, but it doesn't necessarily develop quarterbacks? Yeah, because I don't think Sam Howell will walk into an NFL mini camp and holler, get open, and anyone will know what the hell he's talking about because, you know, it don't miss that as a play call under Phil Longo. Like, I, I, I do. I wonder what his ceiling is. And even just the drop-off from the ACC to the SEC – or SEC to ACC, I guess I said that backwards, is probably more conducive to that simplistic Longo offense because, I mean, you saw it. Longo played, like, he was okay against the bad teams, but when you start getting larger support staffs and more oddballs cutting up film and tracking tendencies every week, he sucked against the better offenses, and you don't really see that a whole lot in the ACC, or I should say a whole lot, as much other than the Clemsons and the Florida States, and I don't even really know what Miami is from a staffing budget and all of that these days. So, yes, I do wonder that. I, I do think there's a world where Matt Corral improves his draft stock probably more than we think he could this season. What's the ceiling? I mean, at the risk of talking out of my ass thinking I'm Todd McShay, I don't know. I mean, if he's a mid-first-round pick, if he's it, would it shock you if he's the second quarterback taken? If the second quarterback taken, you're probably a top-10 pick. Right. I mean, it's hard in today's NFL to get their 10 picks without two quarterbacks off the board. What, did, what, what, what are you – like – and I don't even know the answer to this. What are you hesitant about with – like, say he does everything he did last year, then some, and doesn't have the two six turnover games. What are you hesitant about what does – like, what does not translate to the NFL with Matt Corral? Oh, no, I think it's decision-making only. I, mean, I think he takes decision-making. It's hard, it's, it's hard to find a lot. I mean, you know, would they like him to be taller? Sure. Absolutely. I mean, there's some things that if I'm just nitpicking him to death, I don't necessarily love compared to another guy. I mean, he's not the most prototypical quarterback in the world, but there's plenty of quarterbacks that are his size that make it in the NFL. I mean, he has enough arm strength. He has enough moxie. He moves probably better than he gets credit for because, frankly, he needs to be careful there because they can't afford him to get hurt. So he has to really pick and choose where when he runs the football. But I think it's all head stuff. I think it's just another year of running a program. It's another year for decision-making. It's another year of – handling his business in a very professional manner. I mean, I think what Matt needs to do is right there in front of him. It's just not having any missteps and continue a, a you know, a, a maturation and a, and a progression that seems to be well on its way. Agreed. And, you know, so I fault him less for the LSU game because they were shorthanded and it got to a point where he was just trying to kind of make things happen in the rain. And the Arkansas game was, I think, a good learning moment for him. And I know Kiffin talked about that at SEC Media Day about, just kind of leaving him in there and letting him figure it out. Well, the problem with that was the last teaching moment he had, he got benched. Like, you know, I mean, he got pulled out of the game. He had Plumlee ended up like kind of breathing down his back. So he never really got to learn. And so I think, you know, if you can kind of take some lessons from the Arkansas game, and I just don't know how much stock he put in that LSU game, like I mentioned, like 
I mean, the, the kid's still fairly young in terms of his maturation. And, like, I mean, until midway through last season, he had, what, three SEC starts under his belt? That's not a lot. Mm-hmm. No, he's been all tossed around as a quarterback during his career. There's no doubt about that. I mean – We, we don't know. I mean, we're doing a podcast in the last few minutes of it here where we're just speculating because why not? It's football season and it's fall camp. Do you do you anticipate a great fix at that decision-making? I mean, do you feel like you – I mean, your, your expectation is that he will get better and not have those just dull games. I mean, it's not like he's not going to throw a pick because, frankly, he's kind of a gunslinger. I mean, he's going to throw some balls in some weird spots from time to time. But, I mean, do you think he has fixed that, oh, God, I've never seen this covered six-interception game? Yeah, I do because – and talk is cheap. And, no, like, I remember the press conference of the first availability he had after the Arkansas thing where he kind of, if you go back and look at it, like, he didn't go into too much detail, but kind of felt like he articulately figured out what happened in terms of whatever soft zone Arkansas was running. And like, you could almost sense in his voice in that moment that he wished he had another crack at it. It's like looking back on film. Oh, this is what happened here. And he had not had those learning experiences as a young quarterback. So I think that's part of it that I would show, like point as evidence to fix it. I think the second part of it is going through a scheme for a second time, not learning a new one, having a spring and having any sort of continuity, I think that'll help. And if the defense is any better at all, I think if last year showed him anything is he doesn't have to do everything. He has a lot of weapons around him offensively and he'll have a somewhat competent defense. And then I guess the last point I would make in terms of him fixing that is there's probably got to be some self-confidence from having success for the first time in his career. And he trusts his coaches. Yeah, that helps, too. He's not calling his own plays and, you know, fourth and 20-something in the Egg Bowl. I mean, he, he cracked me up on Monday or whatever day it is. Like I said, everything's kind of running together right here. That he, he came in wearing a Lane Train T-shirt. I saw this. And I was like, okay, fine. Like, whatever. This is just like, you know, it, 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 it's nuts. Um. Kind of last thing, you, you've talked to him once a week here for a couple of weeks. Uh, what have you uh, What have you thought about the episodes with uh, Weldon Rodenberg? Obviously, a, a former recruiting staffer for Ole Miss has more football knowledge than you and I combined. Frankly, um, what has sort of been your your takeaways from that to this point? I think it's been the best part about it so far. So he kind of took me through the first episode, the cutting up film process. And if I had more time on my hands, I would do the same thing with podcasts. I would categorize them in good lines, bad lines, and mediocre lines and send them to him and uh, really evaluate his tape. But no, not really. He's, he, he's very, like, he, he speaks well. He has, like you mentioned, more football knowledge than you and I have you know, combined and then some. But the, it's, it's really helpful in the sense that he's recruited this entire roster, you know, even considering – like even this class, because I believe he stopped working right after the early signing period of this past class. So he knows a lot of this roster, and he has a lot of insight and a lot of knowledge. So whenever I have – you know, I mean, I, Blind Squirrel finds a nut every now and again, but any, like if I can throw something out there about a player evaluation or what I think a guy is, like he's, he hasn't been scared to correct me and be like, no, like that's not what it is. Here's what the issue is. And, you know, there's very few guys out there that can do that without, you know, seemingly talking out of their backside. Like he actually recruited the roster. He's looked at the tape and all these guys. I think he brings invaluable knowledge there. And he's just a smart dude in general. So I've learned 
you know, a lot about this team in just two hours of talking to him over two episodes. I think he'll be a great addition throughout the, throughout the season. What's uh, who, who would you like to preview next? What's on the, what's on the docket? Well, we're going in order, which it took me two opponent previews to screw up. I struck out trying to find a Tennessee guy. The podcast ended up being a day late, only to realize their next opponent after Alabama was Arkansas and not Tennessee. Uh, so we've already gone out of order. So I believe the next one up is Auburn. So we'll go Auburn and then go straight down the schedule after that. And then a little change of pace on Thursday's podcast. Uh, in the heat of fall camp, I interviewed a painter. So uh, don't tell me this pod doesn't have range. He's a Fort Worth based artist who is an old Miss alum. His name's Jacob Lovett. He's got a really cool story. We were at Ole Miss around the same time, but was working in marketing, got laid off during the pandemic, kind of had painted as a hobby and was like, I'll try this. And now he's got his own art studio and his commission paintings for, uh, I'll just say not cheap. I don't, I'll, I'll let the people go into the details. So we've got that going tomorrow. And then uh, really it's just kind of back toward fall camp football. We'll get well known a couple of times and uh, you know, season will be here before you know it. We hope. And golf, always a golf mix. Big week for Mississippians on the Corn Ferry Tour. <laughs> you need those guys to make the tour. Oh, we've already got two in the bag. We've got a re- very good shot at a third and a realistic shot at a fourth with Thornberry and Buckley. So we're going to have two Mississippians on the PGA Tour next year and a whole crop of new kids coming on the Corn Ferry Tour, hopefully. I know it's not an Ole Miss thing. I mean, we'll just kind of close here in a second. But part of you, like, wants to go to Fulton and do, like, this huge takeout on, like, Ramey and Allie McDonald and, like, how the hell things came come out of Fulton Country Club. Right? So I'll tease this story because it's been a month late. Like, this whole having a desk job thing is really cut into, like, the writing time uh, and just, like, time spent in general. So I've been, like, putting together this Chad Ramey story for a while. And, like, I'll probably drop it this week, hopefully. But, like – this guy's practice setup, he's going to be playing on the PGA Tour next year, which, uh, if you're counting at home, is the highest level of golf on earth. And this guy's home base is hitting 170-yard shots in between two holes of a nine-hole course at, that has no driving range. And that's just the way he prefers things. So, like, two days after the greatest day of this guy's professional life, after he wins in Maine and locks up his tour card, he's back banging balls in a T-shirt and shorts at this little cutout area between this – first and second fairway at Fulton Country Club. Um, you know, in a world where everyone moves to Jupiter or Fort Myers the second they cash a paycheck, this man's just banging balls in the Mississippi heat at uh, makeshift flag sticks and uh, tee boxes. It's kind of crazy. Putting on greens that roll a five, by the way. He, he's going to make the tour when, I mean, you do want to look at him and go, hey, just go to Waverly. Just drive to West Point. So he goes there a couple times a year. He's not full on tin cup at the risk of making him sound full on tin cup. He does go there a couple times a year, but that's so just the way he had a driving range. Yeah. That's the way he prefers it. He just says, I kind of like it out there. It works for me. I asked him how in the world you put on greens that roll a five on the stint meter and then go play competitive golf. And he said, never had a problem going slow to fast said, okay, <laughs> I have to take your word for it. He is fascinating. He is, he's made 23 straight cuts. We had a different presidential administration the last time he missed a weekend. That is, that, that, that is, that, that's insane. No, he's, he's a great story. He really is. It's uh it, it's pretty neat. So be anxious to, or sorry, eager to, uh, to read that whenever you finish it and you get time to uh, get away from your cooking oil and get back to the, uh, the writing portion of how you spend your days. So. 
It's all love. We had a, a podcast listener DM me the other day, and forgive me, whoever this is out there, I forgot to answer, but I made some joke about being a grease salesman, and he messaged me and said, I sell grease too. What comp are you out of? Really? Yeah, he works for a North Mississippi company. I can't remember who it was, but I'm, I'm eventually going to peck out a message explaining to him I don't literally sell grease. I'm just single-handedly solving climate change. Okay. But uh, we're in the grease business. Gotcha. Well, you will have another podcast uh, tomorrow, Friday, something like that. We'll, um, when's it coming out? What are we doing? So we'll go painter tomorrow, and then mailbag Friday, we'll have some football, some grilling stuff with Greg. No, excuse me, painter Thursday, mailbag Friday, Friday, and then Weldon will come back on Sunday. Okay. So that's coming up on uh, Rippy Wrights. Again, Neil and I will be back at some point here in the next couple of days. Thursday, an off day for practice. Practice back on on Friday, so just be aware of that at rebelgrove.com. In the meantime, have a, uh, have a good evening. We'll talk to you then. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.